Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. Let's try this again. Okay, did do you have the wire? We start the episode off with the Razor Crest not doing so well, uh, and Din is inside, and he's getting Baby Yoda to help him do some rewiring and some tight spaces. Uh, it's a very cute, funny little scene. Uh, the Razor Crest is not going to make it to Corvus, so so they decide to stop uh, by Navarro for repairs on the way because it's a friendly area. They meet up with Grief and Kara. Uh, and then uh, Grief offers to fix Mando's ship in exchange for his help as they drop baby Yoda off at a schoolhouse uh, that's in the place of the old cantina on Navarro. So in typical Mandalorian, frankly, season two fashion, uh, we have to go off and do something kind of aggressive. Uh, the episode is called The Siege. Certainly that's what's happening. They've got this old imperial um, territory that they need to reclaim. Uh, so they pick up the Mithral along the way, who I guess is now working for Grief Karga. This is guy, a guy who has uh, personal um, history with our Mando. And they head to, you might have to help me, I forget exactly the name of the place they go, um, but there's lots of stormtroopers there. They break in, um, and it turns out there is a sort of uh, lab facility where they're headed. It's not just abandoned as they previously had thought. Absolutely. So uh, meanwhile, at this time, Baby Yoda is in school, but he's not paying attention to class. He's paying attention to the cookies that are next door at this little kid. Uh, he asks for some cookies. The kid says no. Uh, Baby Yoda decides this is the right time to use the force for the first time this season. Uh, and I'm going to take those cookies. And so he takes the cookies and he's not really that sorry. And it's an adorable moment. Uh, meanwhile, back on this Imperial base that Grief had said was abandoned, uh, the Mithral had had to walk out on kind of a... a, 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 a precarious ledge uh, and essentially, I guess, override uh, and overpower the reactor so that it was going to explode the base. On their way out, they do discover this lab. And while they're in the lab, they see these tanks, which have alien-like creatures, uh, early Snokes, very likely. We'll get into this for sure. Uh, and then they also uncover a hollow that confirms that Gideon has survived uh, and that the child had been kidnapped for his high M count in the blood uh, and that the transfusions they were currently working on were not successful and that they had run out of the child's blood. Uh, so Din goes back to rescue the child after he hears this kind of terrifying news. Our heroes try to escape and they get in a transport and Grief, Kara, and the Mithral are chased by speeder bikes over the edge uh, and it's a very cool scene. It's really cool and it's and it's a little bit clumsy, but they manage to make the successful breakaway. They get back to their hometown um, and they meet up with Mando once again and it's kind of like, hey, nice knowing you. Can I buy you a drink? Uh, no, I've got a more important business to tend to and we'll probably reunite further down the road because again, uh, formulaically, that seems to be what's going on. I apologize. Uh, you did a fabulous job hey. recapping, and and I, 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 there's a recap component to both of the podcasts I'm a part of now, and I seem to be, um, I'm degrading as a recapper of entertainment. I, I seem to have like a very scattered approach to, uh, re, re, uh, well, my words are not with me today either, apparently, but recapping I, uh... what we've been consuming. I struggled on the last couple ones, so I went ahead and I 
actually looked through and made sure I wrote some notes on this one because there were so many things going on. Essentially, there were the TIE fighters that chased them down yeah. after they got out the speeder bikes. Uh, and Mando came in the Razor Crest with Baby Yoda to save the day. Uh, Baby Yoda had that cute like arms up in the air and then he puked. Uh, and then we cut to Moff Gideon. And yeah. that's where we realize that Moff Gideon uh, has had a spy uh, who was working in Grief Karga's mechanical crew and ultimately planted a tracker on the Razor Crest. And then we see that he also has an elite crew of dark troopers. And that's another thing that we'll talk about more right now. Probably. Yeah, that's that's what the, the TIE fighter sequence is significant for. The fact that Moff Gideon is, is clearly like prepared this elite crew of of pilots that are going to be a little bit harder to evade than your typical stormtrooper because in this episode in particular stormtroopers who have a long history of being hapless are especially disposable stormtroopers are like they don't land a single uh, fire on a hero in this episode even though cardoon is sleeveless and then the yeah. two the two yes that's true but like I mean, only because he, he's, he's walking. Best he's walking at them. And also, like, the two scout troopers who we very recently on this podcast were like, hey, they're the best. I mean, like, the t two of them come down the hill. Clearly, those speeders are not meant for the hill. They just crash into each other, and they're, they're taken care of without any effort by our heroes. And so, in particular, this episode, stormtroopers seem like idiots. I don't know if that's to um, contrast the the precision and the menace of the dark troopers, but uh, you're you're right. Moff Gideon is, is clearly putting together uh, a crew that's somewhat more frightening. Yeah, so let's. I'm going to go through my take backs for the episode because they're very, very few. Um, there is this, those scouts colliding. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like that. I mean, that was just... It, it, yes, we're seeing the incompetence, but it's maybe a little too much. And then the fact that the, the troopers were so inaccurate and then the ties still couldn't even catch up through them with the caves, although there was some pretty good fire done by Grief Karga. Um, and then, of course, the Mithral being back, although he wasn't as bad as last time at all. Um, but the worst thing about him is the fact that he doesn't have a name. The fact that they're still, still not giving people freaking names. Still, uh, I know. But So that's just very frustrating. And then there's also my only other take back is the line that uh, Carson says to Kara at the very end. Did you lose anyone? Me too. I lost, I lost everyone. It's a dumb Duh. question. <laughs> it is a dumb question. <laughs> uh, although it's uh, so fine. I find we, it interesting. Kind of hit through a handful of the take backs, so I had to mention them there. But. No, that's okay. And I, I I do find it compelling for Kara's story that she is from Alderaan because it's it's good that we revisit that and kind of close that chapter in because it, it's like mm. a, a relatively unfinished story, the story of Alderaan in Greater Star Wars. Um, and I, I'm looking for reasons to also ground Cara Dune, who I'm not aiming to dislike, although. I don't really get anything rich from her, and I'm not alone in that as a Star Wars fan, which we've talked about lately. We can talk about it again. In general, as long as we're taking stuff back about this episode, um, it seems like the general uh, impression of this episode is that it was yet another good one, but that in itself is almost a take back for me because it's so formulaic. I love Man Mandalorian. I, I, I like that it's a serialized show. I'm okay with mm. it not being as... Um, as uh, fluid uh, a singular story as other high epic dramas they're doing that deliberately um yep. frankly in the tradition of star trek but we are starting to fall into a bit of a cookie cutter um situation here with hey person i know sort of can you help me with this thing well only if you help us with this thing first and we have to park the child somewhere and go do this uh, violent singular mission which in this particular instance 
has even less to do with the greater story than normal, save, of course, the fact that we have Baby Yoda um, uh, being harvested and they were, they were able to expose that for us. I'm going to disagree with that one. I actually think this one... Um... I would agree with a lot of the points, of course, on the the serialized nature of it. And it's kind of like the adventure of the week, of course. And definitely the trading um, help for help yes. is something that's definitely repetitive. But these are repeated characters. So I think that is important to show that he is building friendships and that these aren't necessarily uh, the new people of the week. Again, these are some people that he has established a relationship with, which he's maybe not that great at. But I actually think this episode blows the entire fucking series wide open okay i think i think it changes i think it totally changes the game as to what the series could be and what the series will be and potentially what star wars has coming up for it uh i think the next episode is when people are going to realize that potentially uh i think the, the the dark troopers let's um let's maybe get into them first okay uh because there's so many things that we can talk about um let me just see if i've got some some notes on here somewhere on the dark troopers well and by the um, way as long as long as we're picking apart the, the formulaic nature of the show it, it's not unlike the first season in that the first few episodes established that we've got many adventures to experience before the greater adventure kind of takes hold in the second half and now we've completed the first half of season two so you're you're probably right. In episode five, we'll probably start to see more of the bigger picture come together. Whether that involves Ahsoka or a face to face with uh, with Gideon, um, or, or like like Jedi's Baby Yoda story furthering Mando's story furthering a return from Bo-Katan. Like I I, I think we're probably going to see some stuff come together, and and it's going to get really exciting in the second half. But in particular, by episode four of this formula, I'm getting a little winded. Fair, fair enough. I, I will say, though, that everything we have seen from the trailer has now been shown. That's cool. So every, everything you're yet to see, you're going to see in these next four episodes is going to be completely new and fresh for you. And so in that regard, it's it's going to catch you very much off guard. Uh, Ahsoka will be in the next episode. It's written and directed by Dave Filoni. There's a 99.9% chance she will be in the next episode. Sure, good guess. Uh, it's, it's rumored to be between uh, 45 and 58 minutes long. So it's oh. going to be a good length episode. Uh, Moff Gideon or Giancarlo Esposito has said in the past that he uses the dark saber this season mm. uh, and he gets into a lightsaber fight essentially. Uh, and so we're going to see him fight Ahsoka next episode. That's that's uh, it. I love that. Now you want like I, I can keep blowing this open more. Let's actually um, let's yeah, let's let's go with the dark troopers, the dark troopers. Specifically, they are dark troopers. It's revealed in the audio description for the visually impaired that you can access on Disney Plus. What is a dark trooper? Um, that's the dark trooper is from Legends, and it's done in three phases. So we don't know exactly how it's going to be replicated or reintroduced for canon. But the dark trooper was introduced in the Dark Forces video game and through a few other different Legends materials. Uh, and it was essentially it was an elite stormtrooper class that was infused with force sensitivity. Uh, and then they also had an elite battle droid class that was made out of uh, lightsaber-proof metal called Frick. Now, I think we can probably shape this very slightly and reveal that what did the Empire do with all the Beskar they harvested, harvested from Mandalore? That's Moff Gideon's new Dark Trooper fleet. So we've been talking about how easy these Stormtroopers are to dispose of. Well, now we're switching back to droids from the Clone Wars, and we're going with ones made from Beskar. Good luck, all you Mandalorians. Good luck anyone trying to take these people out. Yeah. On top of that, 
We've also now learned about the experimentation with potential force sensitivity and trying to uh, take force-infused blood with high M counts, high midi-chlorian counts, and using them for another purpose. That's another phase of the Dark Trooper program. Is there a life form inside these battle droids? We don't get to see them very close. They look very clearly to be battle droids, like a cross between a battle droid and K2SO, but made from Beskar. Wow. So that's terrifying. Yeah. Um, and then if you do a, like, potentially there is a sentient brain, though, in there that has force sensitivity. Maybe not. Maybe that's for something completely different. But that's a really interesting plot. Now, let's go back to Moff Gideon's motives a little bit more. What does he want with all of this? Um, the Dr. Pershing said, uh, we won't fail you again, Moff Gideon. So he's clearly leading the project as well to deal with the force sensitivity. He is, you have no idea how much this, how much I want this or whatever he said from last season. So, so bluntly, uh, he has the dark saber. Does he want to be force sensitive himself? There is a volunteer who is the volunteer that they don't want to kill. Uh, Dr. Pershing says specifically in this episode, um, I highly doubt that we'll find a donor with a higher M count, though. I fear that the volunteer will meet the same regrettable fate if we proceed with the transfusion. So they don't want to kill the volunteer. So the volunteer potentially is Gideon or potentially is Palpatine or potentially is Snoke or potentially is someone else. I have another theory on who that could be, but that's another thing to get to as well. So I just, you have a, a question mark on your face. There's so many things that this could be. It's just blowing so many story potentials out there and it's making me really excited for what's to come. You've raised a lot of questions. One, first and foremost, when he said, I highly doubt we'll find someone with a higher midi-chlorian count, I thought he was talking about Baby Yoda because he is the doctor he who is. rescued Baby Yoda. So like, um, that's not the volunteer that he's discussing. No, they're talking about, uh, that was unfortunate. There was two quotes that I had just had next to each other. They weren't necessarily said uh, one after the other. Okay. Um, but no, he was referring to the donor, which was Baby Yoda. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were only, and this is a, another really interesting thing, which makes me believe, I think, what I know is going to happen in the next episode. Um, and so if, if I'm right, uh, and I, I saw this theorized one other place as well, uh, and that they specifically said he, he's too small. They, they couldn't harvest enough blood. Right. The next episode's called The Jedi. The next episode, we're getting Ahsoka. Ahsoka is going to sacrifice herself, get captured by the Empire so that Din and Baby Yoda can get away. Whoa. Who yeah, but has a really high M count and a lot more blood that they can repeatedly harvest for testing. Sure. Ahsoka but, Tano will work. But to what end? Like, is she, when you say sacrifice, is she going to die at the hands of the new Emperor? I don't think so. I think that gives us a whole another season with a main plot of we now need to rescue the Jedi. And then Ahsoka is going to probably at the end of that season say like, okay, now we're going to need to learn more. And then this goes to another theory that leads me to believe that I think she's going, they're going to learn about the species to realize that it's more like a frog than we've all been realizing. Mm. He was, Yoda was compared to a frog a lot when he was first introduced. And there's been frogs in this season. Yeah. And he's been eating a lot in this season. So that leads me to believe two different things. We also talked about uh, how different species age differently. What do frogs do? They age in cycles. They age with like tadpoles. And then like they have their, they have clear cycles. They're like Pokemon, they mm -hmm. evolve. Yeah. And so it leads me to believe that Yoda taught for 800 years and he died at 900 years old. So he was able to train Jedi at 100 years old. Baby Yoda is 50 years old. So in the next 50 years, Baby Yoda should become a full adult. You're right. He should kind of evolve up. He should level up. So that means Din needs to raise him to become a sentient adult 
for the next 20 to 30 years, in which case at that point, he will evolve to be a little bit more of a, a sentient being and then can get shipped off to Ray um, when Din is an old man and then thus uh, Baby Yoda can grow out his life and be a Jedi, but he will not be able to do that for another potentially 20, 30, 40, 50 years. He's so hungry and the frog comparisons, it just leads me to believe uh, that, and we also need to find a way for Baby Yoda to stay with with Din. It just doesn't make sense for, he's not going to hand him off. No. And so I, these all kind of ideas just, and if none of these things happen, that's totally fine. Although I'm not happy with uh, Baby Yoda just, leaving and him and Din going different ways. I don't like that. No, but uh, I could see a world where um, a few more seasons into the show, if they want to wrap it up, Din dies at the end of The Mandalorian. And I, 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 especially, I could see that too. Especially sacrificially in service of his his new creed, which is Baby Yoda and his the friends we made along the way, your Grief Cargas or whatever. Um, mm. He dies heroically. Um, Baby Yoda's not going to die in this series, but it would be, you and I are the no. only one, you, you and I are the only ones who talk about this movie potentially, but it would be so great if uh, the new uh, evolution of Baby Yoda and Rey could be episode 10 or, Absolutely. or, or Finn or, or whatever. Like, I definitely want to see those two stories converge. Now, I also am crazy about the idea of uh, Moff Gideon being Sith obsessive or being force obsessive. I'm not convinced he already isn't a, at least a little bit force sensitive. It's very possible, he very well could be. but he's wearing armor in this episode, which is definitely Darth Vadery. And um, these new dark troopers are also Darth Vadery. He desperately wants to have a lightsaber, which is also the dark saber. And like um, he uh, is chasing after baby Yoda, which granted everybody is, and maybe also Ahsoka. This is something that we had in Kylo Ren as well. This guy who was just like obsessed with the the lore of being a part of and also preserving this tradition of the dark side of the force. But it's and, and I'm I'm not going to disparage Kylo Ren, who is among the best characters in all of Star Wars. But this is kind of a different version of the same thing, and it's equally interesting to me. Yeah, it's done in a very very different way. Sorry, my rabbits are making a bit of noise. Well, and Moff Gideon's um, more sophisticated than Kylo Ren. Absolutely. And we also don't exactly know, like, does he, is he one of the, um, allegiant moths like Allegiant general pride was, right? Is he currently working for Palpatine? Is he currently working for Palpatine, but doesn't know it? Is he currently just trying to pick up the pieces to be, to lead whatever he can that's remaining of the empire. And so like, is he just trying to dominate his sector? Uh, Giancarlo Esposito, he gave out some more, um, interesting little tidbits and nuggets uh, in an interview recently that leads me to believe he reports to someone. Mm -hmm. And so it, and with the, the Snoke, uh, in like stuff in this episode, it, it leads me to believe it's likely Palpatine and we're connecting things back more in that way. Uh, akin to what was done at the Clone Wars and making a lot of things make more sense. Uh, Let's talk about the Snoke thing. <laughs> tanks of Snokes. Well, let's do that. Are we sure that those were tanks of Snokes? Because obviously it seemed like there was a cloning thing happening here. Uh, we don't know necessarily if it's cloning. Uh, Snoke himself was a strand cast, mm. as far as we know in canon, which just means that he wasn't a clone, but he was essentially, he was grown the same way a clone would be, just not from someone else's DNA, just from other shit. And like, potentially in the case of Baby Yoda, like, the blood of Baby Yoda and a whole bunch of other things. Maybe that's how Snoke was grown. Uh, they play Snoke's music, and they, which is the same music that they played in the opera house, uh, which led people to believe that it was Plagueis. So it yeah. could just be dark side music. Okay. Um, and 
the the real one that makes me think it's Snoke is the fact that you can see the heads and the heads have the same divot and crack that Snoke has. Yes. And so that's what makes me think. And Carl Weathers even talked about it. And he, I don't know whether, like, I only read the words, so I didn't, I couldn't gauge the tone, but he either confirmed that they're supposed to be early versions of Snoke or he was joking about that being a clear, like, tease that the audience is supposed to think. So he he mentioned Snoke in an interview about that referencing that scene. I just don't know what his tone was. So definitely possible that this um, volunteer that you're discussing is either Snoke or Palpatine or some variation of that person is donating Vic. his, his in tremendous force power. Very possible. Or one other total wild, wacky theory that's just fun and that's getting me excited about Star Wars because it's it's so out there. This one I've not seen anywhere, but it's the kind of shit that is so annoying. Like, this is the kind of thing that you would have seen a few years ago and was the worst kind of theory a person could have ever had. And maybe, just maybe it could come back and make sense. Just maybe. Um, Boba Fett. Boba uh, Fett. Boba Fett. What, Boba Fett. What did his father do? His father was the volunteer yep. for a clone army. Yep. Maybe Boba Fett wants to follow in his father's footsteps. It wouldn't be the first time. Nope. And on top of that, last time we saw him, he had no hair on him. And he had some cuts on his head. And he was bald. And he, I've said since the beginning, I think Moff Gideon was going to hire Boba Fett to track down Din. I think that's still the case. And what are we getting now? We're getting a Boba Fett miniseries that takes place between Return of the Jedi and Mando season two. Do we know that for sure? It's almost a slam dunk. The rumors have come out fast and steady from positive sources. And apparently it's something that they, after they reviewed Mando season two internally, they greenlit and people started to leak it as soon as episode one of this season. But happened. but this is as cool as this idea is, now I feel like it belongs in this show. Why splinter it off into its own property? It should be it, a part of this. This is the Mandalorian. And that's why it's a great idea to incorporate um, Boba Fett into the central villainy of this show. Why create a whole other branch? It, it, it's a mini series. And the, the, the rumor, the heavy rumor is that it's between Return of the Jedi and um mando season two and so in that same capacity picture the Cobb vanth flashback that we get that but for like four to six episodes okay and people will really want that people sure. will and so i'm i'm okay with that and especially if it le leads to boba fett coming back into this and now i don't think boba fett is snoke but at the same time why the fuck not in the certain way of making things rhyme and, and are consistent and all those snoke theories out there they have to get a body from something. Um, I don't know. It's stupid and not not a thing, but it's just fun to get the mind exploring and all these different pathways that we now have opened up. And so while the episode itself, I agree with you on a lot of accounts, I felt like it opened so many doors for the series and sure. for Star Wars. And I think it's almost a slam dunk. We're getting an Ahsoka show if people like Rosario Dawson. And so like it just it's i think in a domino from here and it gets me really excited well and alternatively you can have both of those things without it meaning that uh snoke's body was in fact boba fett's body which was in fact jango yeah. fett's body like two things can be true like we don't know for sure that in those tanks it was snoke yes there's a similarity but it could have just been boba fett's body 
Yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. It could have been so many different things. And like I said, there could be, those could be like, they looked smaller. So maybe they're uh, the little, like an alien thing that goes inside the dark trooper itself. Interesting uh, to see so Dr. Interesting to see Dr. Pershing again. I wasn't sure if we in fact would. I find it interesting also that like he still has this allegiance to the evil side, which obviously he was like morally compromised when we first met him. But we were led to believe mm. when we left him that he actually had like a streak of heroism in him, or at least that's how he spun it himself. Like, no, no, no. I know we're not pals, but trust me, I actually saved this child's life. Don't kill me. Um, and that mm. is technically true, but he's also maybe one of the top dogs uh, uh owned by one of the most evil guys in the galaxy. I see him as a pushover where Galen Erso had the strongest backbone in the galaxy. I see. I see that I see that very much as the case. He's a very smart man who was taken in by the Empire, probably like he did his university at whatever Imperial University and has just been working for Moff Gideon, just has no way out, um, but is too good at his job to be let out. Uh, that's kind of the way I see it. He, he at the end is I won't fail you again, Moff Gideon. I just see I see fear. Yeah, I feel I see I see him as almost a bit of a prisoner um, because he did save save the child in that regard. But yeah, he's also an imp. So at the same time, you don't know. Just to bounce back on uh, your your theory about Baby Yoda's aging process, such a good observation how much he is eating in this season that feels so entirely deliberate and interesting that they made such a you know a hubbub with the controversy about him eating the eggs, especially if there's like a frog metaphor in there. Um, mm. But it's not just that. It's the eating of the chowder. It's the slurping of the soup at the starting of this eating. episode. And, and interesting also that Mando takes off his helmet just like in a in a minimal way. Cute. It was cute. And also Baby Yoda kind of gives him a look as if to suggest like it's pretty special even for him to see the, mm -hmm. the mask come off. Um, and then, of course, the macaron sequence, which is oh my god, it's adorable! Cool, it's I mean, I I listed this kid in my take back not just because he's rude to Baby Yoda, but because of how disgustingly piggish he is with eating those cookies. I don't need I don't need macaron ASMR from this chubby little kid. I don't. <laughs> okay, that's a little mean. <laughs> I'm I don't I I look. He asked for it. I don't know. He, he was he acted well. It's pretty hard to be like a bad. He he Jason Sudeikis. This, like he didn't punch Baby Yoda, but he refused him a cookie after like a little, eh, and just like the little reach out with his little hand. It was so adorable. It is cute. Um, but at the same time, Baby Yoda got his cookies. Yep, he did. He, he wins in the end, and the the raising his hands and the razor crest and love and life, and then the puke and Mando wiping up the cape. Uh, it's, it's just so so cute. I mean, it's such a dad moment to like have to wipe up the spittle while also keeping your eyes on the road. It's just a glorious image. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I have some onboard maintenance I got to take care of. <laughs> I know. Now, I also thought narratively it was an interesting choice to have uh, Mando take a back seat in the final act of the episode. He kind of like, yeah. he GTFOs, and we're just left with the remaining three to do the getaway, which is exciting. Uh, and I really like grief. My only issue is that I only like grief. Of those three, the other two I feel nothing for. Mm. Kara, it's it's a tough one because I don't like Kara that much, and at the same time, Gina Carano is really fucking annoying in yeah. real life. Yeah. So it's something that maybe just have her go off with the rebellion uh, or the the New Republic and be a be a space cop with uh, 
with Carson Teva or something. And then when they but, meet up with Mando again, major Buzz Lightyear, this is falling with style uh, sequence where the music comes up and it's like really glorious. And they're like, hey, that's our hero. We needed him just in the nick of time, which is great, actually, because we've talked recently on the pod about how somebody's always flying in at the last minute to save his butt. And he gets to be mm-hmm. that guy for a change. I know it really worked in that way because we didn't just stay with him and we we stayed with these other characters. I agree. Grief was great in the tank. Uh, a lot of great face acting from um, Carl Weathers. Yeah. Uh, just in terms of like the way he was thinking, what he couldn't find, uh, the scout trooper that he needed to take out, and the satisfaction when he just like blows him the fuck up point blank. Yeah. Uh, it, it it's really great. And also, uh, it's he does it's it's cool the the way he, they decide to take evasive maneuvers in the tunnels mm-hmm. by shooting the the walls more than trying to shoot the ties um, just to create rubble. And and I, I guess that makes it easier to get away. Uh, I don't want the Mithral back, um, but it's also, uh, I'm getting ridiculously fucking sick and tired of the extremely anti-Star Wars thing of not giving characters names. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, j- just because people, you want them to know he's a Mithral. Great. We know he's a fucking Mithral. Got it. And it's like, like and if people cared they would have looked it up like i would have after the episode yeah because yeah, well, I, I don't know if there's there's been a few other mithrals in star wars i would have had to look it up but you know what i'd rather know that the guy's name is like kevin or like right right Jukalu S- or samantha whatever yeah. no and, and it, there's such a long tradition of of star wars being over backstoried and I, I know I, I prefer that. And like, you're right. We we now know that he's a mithral. That that is like a household name at this point in, in the context of Mando. And he's Who been cares? given so much personality. Frankly, I'm not crazy about that personality. But if he's going mm. to have this much character, he needs to have more individuality than just speak for all of the mithrals. Yeah, I completely agree. It doesn't make any sense. It, it's just like you said, it goes against what makes sense in Star Wars. Um, Wilro Hood. That's the character name of the guy who carries the fucking ice cream maker in the background of Empire. That's the name of... They had an action figure for him. Right. People bought the action figure with the character name, and they got this thing that they didn't even know was a safe until The Mandalorian started. They explained that part. That character had a name, but you have a guy who's been in a couple episodes and then, like, a a supporting character in large sequences without a name. It just... doesn't make and like when Cobb Vanth calls the bartender a weak way, right? And in, in the first, no, give him. A, you guys knew each other six years prior. You guys are sh- at the bar together at the fall of Death Star Two. Speaking Show of it. speaking of takebacks, another character that Mando hasn't given a name or an action figure to is Gene's T-shirt guy. I know. Well, actually, they, they did. It was actually quite funny. They uh, a guy did um, uh, make uh, like a Kenner action figure box and like yeah. in photoshop of the jeans t-shirt guy there's a lego set as well oh amazing yeah. he actually has a wikipedia page now i believe so so this is uh, a funny thing that you have to be a real eagle eye mando viewer to, to oh, catch I, I, I saw it in a still after the fact but in, in yeah, the similar vein to the star wars uh, the starbucks cup in game of thrones there there's a crew member visible in one of the scenes in this episode and it's just so quick and it's honestly just kind of a neat thing because you never see this kind of a mistake in star wars yeah, and it's just his uh, wristwatch and uh, one of his one of his legs. Yeah, uh, but it's yeah. It, it, everybody was kind of chuckling, and it'll be gone in a in a day or two, I assume. It was not gone today. I, I did take uh, another watch today of the episode, and it. Uh, um, 
I, I today was the first time I saw I saw him in the episode. So character who does have a name, uh, who we really like is uh, Carl Weathers' Grief Cargo, who also he directed this episode, did a fine job. Yeah, uh, he has kind of an updated look in this episode, which I love. One of my favorite things about it, he's got like a whiter beard, he's got nicer duds. I just, yeah, I think, he's, a, he's getting back to his role as a magistrate. He's uh, cleaning up the town. Right. And he has also a very cute interaction with Baby Yoda. Like he, if you remember at first, like he was kind of wary of Baby Yoda in season one. And, and now he like thinks he's the cutest little thing. And they have and a, you come here, little one. Has Mando been taking good care of you? Have you been taking good care of him? Yeah. Yeah. He said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's very sweet. Yeah, a very grandpa moment, and uh, it, he was he was great in the episode, and I like the fact that Kara is like the marshal in that area, uh, and it also shows that some serious time has passed. Yes, uh, because it's got like they've been together for for several months since since they left this, uh, and they also they had to travel without um, their hyperdrive last uh, couple episodes, so right. it makes some sense as well that that took a while. Uh, the only other like highlight that I wanted to bring up is you had mentioned Carson Tiva. Is that his name? Kim's Convenience? Yeah. I really like that if they're going to stick with this idea of there being like a, um, like a cops, uh, like a, like a, like a, not, yeah. I just mean like a police officer who's kind of like distant on our gunslingers trail all the way through this. Like, I think that that's a perfect role for him. I think it's great. And I think like he, he knows that there's something going on. He sees that the first order, there's something weird. Um, and that the people in the core worlds don't believe him. Uh, but I think that that's, I think that's really great. There's so many things that are connecting, uh, the original trilogy timeline to the sequel trilogy timeline. And I think he's a really great character for that. Uh, I love the, the guy, um, uh, Paul something, uh, but he seems he's such a good Star Wars fan and uh, he just feels like he fits right in the galaxy far, far away. And so totally. it was nice to see him back. And also um, Trapper Wolf was was there because both X-Wings were there. He was right. just, I guess, interviewing somebody else. Any quotes you wanted to highlight? It's not a super quotable episode. Uh, no, uh, it wasn't. Um, but there was a couple things from Din. Uh, no, put the blue one back. Uh, no, hold them apart. Are you okay? Like that was a really cute, cute scene with the wiring i absolutely love that kara uh, says well, we, to carson she says i'm not a joiner blue i kind of think that's that's like got a little bit of a catchiness to it i did too but i don't know why she calls him blue mm. i don't know like, is, is, is it supposed to be a reference to like cops because sorry clearly the cops wear orange well is he not or, is he not previous era white is he not possibly blue leader maybe Maybe he was part of Blue Squadron. Yeah. Good thinking. Very good thinking. Um, uh, that was my credit around here. Yeah. That could be a good episode title. Uh, you'll be rewarded in the new era. That just kind of like mm -hmm. ra random uh, uh, paper pusher in the end says to Dr. Pershing. How about the front door? That's oh, yeah. Good. Yeah, that's really good, too. I highly doubt we'll have a donor with a higher M count. It's very curious. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, it, it's nice. It's nicely utilized because midi-chlorians have this kind of sordid past in Star Wars, but like we might as well lean into it and everybody knows what an M count is without having to know explicitly what an M count is. Yeah, exactly. I thought that that was a really great way of doing it. And in particular, not saying midi-chlorians, but still unites all the trilogies together, which is really great. When the lava uh, tide comes in, give us a holler, we'll drop you a rope. Yeah, I thought that was a really good one. Yeah. Uh, or I leave you out here in the lava flats to walk home with whatever's left in your humidity vest. Yeah. And park your gills right there until I say otherwise. There's no guardrail on this. 
<laughs> that felt a little bit to me like a meta reference to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It was, a, it was a great reference to that point. And also the many times, I mean, freaking Han Solo uh, fallen off. There's a lot of areas that need guardrails in Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Uh, uh, trivia. Do you want to do some trivia questions? Yeah. Let's do some trivia. All right, this is easy. How many years of a life debt does the Mithral owe Grief Karga at the beginning of the episode, and how many does he owe him at the end of the episode? Uh, 350 at the start and uh, 220 at the end, right? Correct, yes. He takes 100 years off at first and then another 30. Yeah, for uh, for parking at the, in front of the, at the front door. That's right. How many scouts go after our heroes on speeder bikes? Uh, it's more than four. I'm going to say six. Ooh, five. Oh, okay. I was going to say it's more than four and less than six, but I I thought maybe I missed <laughs> it, one. It, it, indeed. It was, yeah. Um, okay. Um, which of the five major trade routes in the galaxy is identified by the student in class? The student in class. Uh, the Oh, um, the Hydean Way? It is the Hydean Way. The droid teacher mentions the Corellian run. The Corellian run, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did some look on that as well. Let me scroll down. Um, there are five in total, and there are two of them that are named Corellian. There's another one that's the Corellian. That's, yeah, the Corellian trade spine, the yeah. Perlemian trade route, and the the Rima trade route. Okay. What species was the mechanic that spies on Din and reports um, to the Empire? I don't know, but there was like a... Just because we've spent so little time with this character and we've been talking about him anyway for the last uh, 11 months or so... There was a part of me that like briefly wondered if he was going to be um, uh, Ochi of Bastoon, and then it wasn't because I just couldn't I couldn't picture the guy. But like that would have been kind of good if he had like a little if he turned up in Mando at some point. Yeah, maybe if we get some like really Sithy stuff, like if like they unc- if if any more Snoke shit comes up where like you've got a they they break into a facility and find more like really dark sidey stuff because yeah. I think I want I want Ochi, but at the same time. When does Oshi die? Oshi wouldn't die for another nine years, probably. Yeah, he could overlap, potentially. Nine to, nine to ten years. So I think we're fine with that. Yeah. But I don't know what the species of this guy is. Uh, he, uh, okay, well, I was going to ask if you could guess the planet, but you probably wouldn't remember. Mimban? Do you remember Mimban? No. He's Mimbanese. Uh, Mimban was used in Solo. It's where they do, they meet, where Han meets Beckett. Uh, and Mimban was also the location of Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was the n- novel sequel to a new hope oh right okay cool yeah it's a mud mud planet and they all wear helmets in solo so you don't even really see what they look like in solo right he's he's kind of like a a typical star wars archetype there's this like generic shady looking mother effer who spy in the background spies in the background gets hired for a for a price and ultimately doesn't have a whole lot of character but like he's he's shifty you can't trust him yeah yeah um oh on what hover vehicle do the heroes make their clumsy escape Oh, he calls it mint. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be like a, like a color or like a because that doesn't appear to be like the the make no, of the vehicle. N- no, I think he means like because he says like you can sell in the black market. It's like perfect condition. Oh, it's like new, never used. like mint condition. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like there's an X in it, yep. and I feel like it starts with an M. Uh, well, separate one words. of the words maybe it's yeah. two words. True, it's like yeah. a, it's like a, like a Mechlatrex. I don't know. I don't know what is it. It's a Trexler Marauder. Trexler Marauder. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was a cool, cool yep. rig. 
It was a cool rig. Yep. I like the name too. Yeah. Trexler Marauder. Trexler Master Marauder. question for me. Uh, which stormtrooper is instructed to send a technical crew to check out the transformer? Which stormtrooper? I don't know. I do know that there are a couple of female stormtroopers in this episode, which is rare. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Captain Phasma. No, it's not unheard of, but it's unusual. Yes, it certainly is. Uh, TK-147. Oh, okay. With the old TK codes. Right. Yeah. Who else was a TK? Uh, there's lots of TKs on the Death Star. Right. Okay. TK-421. TK-421. TK yes. Come yeah. in, TK-421. Anything else you wanted to say about this episode? Um, there was there was a lot to talk about for sure. It was overall a good episode. I think maybe I was a little bit hard on it. I just think that it was the the formula is kind of wearing me out, and I suspect it'll probably die with this episode. And we'll get into the meteor stuff next week, which I'm excited for. Um, it also, and we've used this comparison before too, felt egregiously video gamey. Like go here, yeah. get the thing, get out. Um, I was okay with that though. Yeah, I'm okay right. with the show being very video gamey personally. Okay. Okay. Anything uh, else? You as long to say? as the, as long as the story stays strong and it um, and it certainly has been thus far. Uh, one other thing to mention, or two other things. I do. I love the classroom. Me too. Um, yeah. That was just a really cool scene. The fact that it was where they had did the big shootout uh, in the last season. Mm -hmm. This is a big cantina. Um, and then IG Eleven in the town square. IG Eleven in the town square. No, I think I missed yeah, it. Yeah, I, I told you to look out for it. Uh, but yeah, no, I would have missed it the first time as well. I saw it still. Uh, in the middle of Navarro, in the town square, there's a statue of IG-11. Oh, as like a hero? Yeah. He's like, he's got a battle pose. Like he's got like one leg up and like he's got his like rifle in one arm. Because I mean, he sacrificed to, to save them all. And so. I guess, but it's so silly that you would uh, erect a shrine to a non-sentient being. <laughs> like I know, I mean, I know, I know it's Star Wars, but like there is something less heroic about a machine that was programmed to do the right thing. That's true. However, <laughs> in the same vein, it was programmed by Kuil, so maybe the statue should have been of him. Uh, yeah. But it would be a lot easier to get the parts to make an IG-11 statue. I yes, think. fair enough. You could also just like take an old IG droid. Well, <laughs> the original Empire Strikes Back IG-88 did not move right. at all. No, I know. So he was bolted to the ground. Uh, yeah, other than that, oh, also the Mythosaurus skull shadow. Uh, that was kind of cool when they were down where the Aqualesh were raiding the old um, Mando caves, and then they had the Mythosaurus skull just to show that like they they're all gone. The armor uh, either took their stuff or it's been all robbed anyway. So the only other thing is the little um, meerkat thing that kind of befriends Cara Dune. Like I don't know if that's supposed to be like her version of Baby Yoda. It's not cute. I just find it. No, I don't care. It, it, it's not good um, practical effect. It doesn't need to be there. It just didn't add anything to the episode. And it like makes its comeback in the end of the episode. And I, it doesn't do anything for me. No, I would agree on that one for sure. Okay, should we move uh, on to the news? News. We, we should. Uh, yeah. We covered some of it in the sense that we talked a little bit about the next episode and what's likely to come in that. Uh, and then also about uh, the Boba Fett show. Mm. Um, they also cast for that uh, Jordan Bulger. Um, he was from Peaky Blinders. Okay. I, I don't know who he is, but he's, I believe, the only one who's been cast aside from Tamara Morrison. Uh, the show's um, title, or like internally, is Buccaneer. So cool. That's a cool title. Yeah. It is a cool I mean, title. It, it won't. It won't be the title, but it's definitely a, a, a cool working title. Yeah. Uh, speaking of working titles, they're doing casting for the Obi Wan show. Great. Okay. Uh, and so they have working titles for some characters. Uh, the four main casting calls are for. Riley slash Eve. Okay. We don't really like it, it. It doesn't say specifically. Um, like both of them are the code name for some reason. 
this is a co-lead female, um, and they're um, some of uh, any type of person of color um, in their uh, in their twenties. Uh, and then the and the rumored favorite uh, is rumored uh, runner-up for Kira. Uh, Naomi Scott, who was uh, Princess Jasmine in the most recent Aladdin. Oh, cool. Okay, she's pretty good. She kind of yeah. steals the show in Aladdin, in fact. Okay, hang on a second. If one of this character's code names is Eve, is there uh, a possibility they're going to do like a biblical framework in the Obi-Wan story? Like like he's Ooh. Adam and like they're kind of like starting this new, they're starting over in a completely desolate space? Oh, Colin, you beat me to it. Hey, sir. You, hey. you beat me to it. Uh, we can, we'll go through all of these, um, and, uh, then we'll get to that as well. But yes, the working title for the show is Pilgrim. Mm. And what a pilgrim is, according to religious context, is someone who goes out on a spiritual journey to return more enlightened. Yeah. What's Obi-Wan going to do? Likely that. What does that tell me? This show is going to be Obi-Wan learning to be a force ghost and likely learning to save Anakin's soul. He's going to go on a mission to learn how to be a force ghost and in that same vein, learn how to save Anakin so that Anakin is allowed to be a force ghost after life as well, which ultimately he does become. And so that is my belief that he is going to go and try and save Anakin in the same vein. That is what Qui-Gon instructs him as his path to becoming a force ghost. And there will be uh, that that journey that that he goes on, and these will be the characters that that help him get there. In my belief, I love that. That sounds awesome. I think that would be so so cool, and be yeah. a very very fitting uh, thing that to tie up so many of the loose ends. Whereas some of the other rumored plots for the Obi Wan show, we're going to be like another Jedi is found and he doesn't like the thought of Luke Skywalker and wants to kill him so that Vader doesn't come and find them or like people want like pirates to attack. I'm like, fuck that shit. That's creating new conflict. We already have a lot of mystery in this time period. Let's resolve and enrich the character with that tiny year time period that we already know where there's a lot of question marks. Uh, so I, I hope that's the case. Uh, there's a character, Tia, who's also uh, a female um person of color uh, in uh, mid-30s. So because the same characteristics are required for uh, Riley and, or say, Ia, Eve and Tia, uh, except one has to be approximately five years older than the other, it makes me think that there's potentially could be sisters. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be logical. Uh, Bella is another character um, who's female, Latinx uh, in her 40s, uh, and Harold, a supporting uh, quirky male in his 20s to 30s. Okay. Um, and so when you look at what the names of these mean, obviously Eve being kind of someone that the, the, the beginning of the journey, uh, but also someone who suffered from temptation and ultimately uh, gave in to the temptation of the dark side. True. Um, so there's a lot of question marks as to who that could be. Uh, Tia, uh, Tia means princess. So I'm not, there could be a royal lineage or connection um, in that way. Maybe uh, this is... I'm not, I don't really, I, I don't know what that could mean, but someone of high standing. Um, Bella uh, is a name that uh, harkens to a follower uh, of religion. And so in that regard, someone who is a, a devout member of a religion leads me to believe uh, a guardian of the wills uh, or a force user or potentially a will mm. um, of the force. Uh, Harold, uh, Harold is uh, a term that means a war commander. 
and so that leads me to potentially believe that it's a reprogrammed because it's a quirky character, um, an alien maybe, or maybe a droid that is a reprogrammed um, like battle droid or a fighting droid that's reprogrammed to not be so war driven. I mean, there needs uh, to be a droid. Quirky. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so I thought it was really interesting the fact that you you drew the connection to the Bible and that there's clear biblical um, hints that are coming with this. It, it makes me very excited as to what this series could be uh, and that they're getting some of that casting stuff uh, wrapped up means they're they're on track to get things going in the spring. Well, and the idea that maybe Obi-Wan's goal on Tatooine was not always to be in complete isolation. Like maybe he did at a time have a sort of family that ultimately we know where that goes because he ends up alone by the time of the beginning of A New Hope. But like, do we have room in Obi-Wan's story for another another great love? It would be kind of nice if he had a little bit of family. Although it's just another time where he loses love, which has happened to Obi-Wan again and again and again. Yeah, and he's supposed to be older here. And so I don't really want a love story for, for Obi-Wan in he that regard. experiences so much. More, have more pain. It's the thing. He experiences so much loss in his life, which it's going to happen gonna be, no matter what. It's going to likely be a lot of PTSD in this show anyway. And like, there's going to be flashbacks to the Clone Wars. And yep. so I am curious to know. I did also look up what Riley means, uh, and it means valiant. And so that leads me to believe that uh, maybe she won't be turned to the dark side the way Eve ultimately was. But at the same time, who knows? So it, that, that character it, it could be very interesting, could be. Uh, maybe a Padawan that's also on Tatooine that they like run into each other and Obi-Wan's like, maybe I need to go find you a master somewhere so yeah. that you're not here. Get out of my way. And yeah. I get out of my way. <laughs> and then like they can kind of learn from each other a little bit in the same, or, and maybe she dies as well um, just because that's the way all these other things go. Or maybe she's an inquisitor mm. and is undercover and has been working for Vader the entire time and uh, almost uh, gets close and, and who knows? So there's so many different things could be. I'm just, I'm excited. Uh, and the way that these TV shows are coming out, uh, it's just making the galaxy so big and connected and wonderful. And um, it's it's like they're doing what they did with Clone Wars and Rebels, but in live action uh, and more plentiful uh, yeah. and with a way higher budget. So sounds I, great. I, I can't complain. <laughs> yeah, sounds really good. And people have a good attitude about uh, Disney's Star yeah. Wars TV series now. So so maybe we'll have a good attitude about this and we can kind of move on from some of the more complicated uh, mm -hmm. installments we've had in recent years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not much else in the news. I, haven't, I still haven't watched the holiday special yet. I'm still waiting probably a little bit to, to get a little closer to Christmas, uh, but certainly will very soon. Uh, you said it was fun but rather childish but at the same time that was what it was for and so yeah yeah i mean enough. i watched only half of it i will finish it um and i don't i didn't have like terribly high expectations it's uh, we had kind of heard ahead of time that like it's actually a blast i mean it's no pixar movie or or like or frankly it's no like the lego movie um it's cute and um pretty childish which is fine I had made a comment about how like Ray's voice acting is very very miscast that she sounds too cockney. In watching more of it, I actually want to rescind that. The person they got to voice Ray does a really great job of kind of evoking a Daisy Ridleyness. Um, That's great. She's the star, um, and uh, the guy they got for Poe is really good too. Um, don't really see John Boyega at all in the Finn character, but it's okay too because it's just like this quirky like um, uh, highlight reel where she just kind of like bounces from. Uh, Star Wars uh, 
time period to time period. Yeah, right? moment to moment. Like she goes to a bunch of like the greatest hits. Um, and that's a fun premise for a holiday special. But we'll watch it this year in full and we'll probably not watch it next year. Yeah, that makes sense. It won't that become one of your me. one of your it won't won't be one that you revisit each holiday season like Charlie Brown. No, and you know what? That's fine. But at the same, anything can be better than the first one. I can imagine. So. Yes, yes, that's probably true. Uh, speaking of Daisy Ridley, though, she did say that she thinks Ray's journey ended concretely, and she's really happy with the way it ended. Uh, she imagines Ray off enjoying herself in the forest um, and learning about the force, and so that's great. And I think it's it's nice that she's still talking about Star Wars in a positive way. Uh, and I agree. Uh, Ray's journey is is very complete. Uh, the galaxy's journey is not. Uh, and over time, um, Ray's importance will spike again. And um, I'm sure she'll be more inclined and more interested along with John Boyago and Oscar Isaac in 10, 15, 20, 30 years to come back to that. And uh, there will be good reason to do so then. And that works for me. Daisy Ridley's in a new movie. There's a trailer out this week, but I'm, I'm forgetting the title right now, but it looks kind Chaos of... Chaos Walking. Yeah, this like thriller movie with Tom Holland. It's kind of a two-hander between them. That's a really good um, uh, casting for someone to be in a movie with her. Like they're kind of like contemporaries. Um, they're the next generation of Hollywood as long as they're used properly and transitioned mm. properly. Um He's a great actor. She's a great actor. I like them together. I'm not especially drawn to what I saw of the trailer, but I think people will be. And so as long as she remains relevant and working, she's going to find her footing for the right thing again. I hope so. Uh, it's, I think this one has been in production hell for a very long time. Yeah. I think she shot this like maybe right after The Last Jedi. Oh, wow. Um, like, a, like a while ago. And... So I, ho I hope it's good for her sake, for, for her career. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, you're right. It's definitely the right kind of move. Tom Holland is a huge star, and they're definitely in that same next upswing. And uh, everybody else, is, uh, John Boyega in the new Steve McQueen movie. Yeah. I've heard that's like going to get Oscar contention for some things. Um, and Oscar Isaac is Moon Knight. Um, and Adam Driver uh, is... Uh, crushing John Oliver's chest with right. his smiles. Right. So, you know. <laughs> and John Boyega should be They're James Bond. Up. You and I are, you and I are at the front I, of I the... I like that. I, I am good on that, and I, I I like the fact that he's even talked about it now and that it's now out in the, in the ether, and uh, I think he's I think he's great. I, I want a young James Bond, and I, I think he'd be cool for it. FN218007. Oh, nice, Colin. Yeah. Nice. I like um, that. Anything else you want to talk about that's relevant? Uh, no, I think that's everything. Okay, just uh, uh, one yeah. important birthday. Uh, happy birthday on Wednesday, November 25th to Sheila Fraser, who is the original Aunt Beru, who I've, I've been unkind to on the podcast. She's part of the Star Wars family forever and a happy birthday to her. Uh, if you have any thoughts on chapter four of episode, uh, that is episode 2.4, chapter, what is it, chapter 11, chapter 12? Chapter 12. Chapter 12 of The Mandalorian, The Siege. Please uh, send us a tweet at Recorder66 or email Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Rate and review on your preferred podcast app. This podcast is coming out a couple of days late, but we're going to try and get back on schedule um, in the coming days when uh, episode five of season two comes out and we'll be uh, eager to discuss that when it happens. Hopefully some new and exciting things are going to happen in what sounds yeah. like it's going to be a longer episode. So... That's coming up uh, in the coming days. And until we are together again, may the force be with you.